All right. Welcome back, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to a Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. And thanks for choosing this radio program to listen to today. I'll try to make it worth your while. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference. And where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and society. Also serve as Director of the Office of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And I'm currently the interim pastor over at Five Forks Baptist Church in Simpsonville. Well, we had a great time at the Momentum Conference this weekend. Um, I just want to thank everybody that was involved in that. Um, I think we had about 150 men there. Um, which is over double what they had last year. So this conference is really growing. Jack Eason's done a great job with it. Um, the music was good. Uh, the speaker, Dr. Nealon, was um, uh, amazing. Um, and, and and the whole thing, I mean, I enjoyed doing the breakout sessions. i got to admit, I had to do two of them back-to-back. So the first two, and they're 45 minutes. So I made the presentation had a break long enough for a new group of men together, and uh, my my sessions were were pretty well packed, and I, I appreciate that very much uh, for the people that came in. But I think the topic is what brought the people in, not the person, because a lot of people deal with discouragement, and we were talking about from the book of Nehemiah how to overcome it. So uh, thank you to everybody that came. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to the church, Crossroads Church. Great food. We had uh, uh, barbecue for lunch, had uh, Chick-fil-A biscuits uh, for breakfast, and a big thank you to the Chick-fil-A on Woodruff Road who supplied those biscuits for free. They donated them because they believe in ministry and want to support it where it's taking place. So uh, kudos to them. Um, so what else this weekend? Uh, of course, watch some football. Uh, the Eagles 49ers game was not what I thought it was going to be. I really thought the 49ers defense would play better. Now, they they got to the quarterback uh, quite a bit during the game, but not enough to change the outcome, obviously. Uh, the Eagles won big time, 31-7. to um, Of course, San Francisco quarterback got hurt. He was barely able to even throw the ball down the field uh, pretty much the second half. So, um, I, I you know, you could see it coming. But um, in any event, Eagles are in the Super Bowl. And so are the Kansas City Chiefs after winning a close one, 23 to 20. And some, some, there's going to be a lot of argument over ref calls in that game, the roughing the passer, um, whole thing. But uh, what, whatever, Chiefs came out with a 23-20 win, and they'll be going to the Super Bowl along with the Philadelphia Eagles. I, the way the Eagles played, I mean, I, I'm not going to make a prediction about the Super Bowl yet, um, but I'll tell you. Uh, Eagles are going to be a tough team to beat. Kansas City played well, and Mahomes is is who he is. I mean, he's just a he's a magician on the football field. But when it comes to um, the, the the Eagles, were just over the top um, in their play on Sunday. So we'll see if they can maintain that level. I think it's going to be hard for Kansas City to beat them. But who knows? Football has been really hard to predict this year in particular. All right. Um, Most of the country today is talking about this video of the beating of of Tyree Nichols. And just to give you a little bit of background, let me get my notes up here in front of me so I 
know a little bit more about what I'm talking about. Uh, Tyree Nichols is, was in Memphis. He's 29 years old, and he died three days after being taken to the hospital um, after being beaten by five Memphis police officers who were part of a special unit called Scorpion. And the Scorpion unit was set up in the Memphis Police Department to patrol particularly high-crime areas of the city. And this, this particular unit began in 2021, so it's been around for a couple of years. Um, this event took place on January 6th. That's when Tyree Nichols was pulled over for reckless driving. Now, we don't know. There are things about this case that we don't know. Um, if you've watched the video, um, which I, I did, the video was released this weekend, and we had a lot of lead-up to the video and what I mean when I say lead up is that there were different groups of people who saw the video before we saw it, and they were telling us what the video showed. Now, and, and I, I don't have a problem with that, but I just want us to be honest and recognize that when you have people see something that you haven't seen, and then they lay out what you're going to see. They talk about how horrible it is. They talk about how terrible. They talk about the uh, fact that he was savagely beaten. Well, in your mind, you're setting up a scenario of what you're going to see when you watch that video. I mean, it's just, it, that, that's human nature. You're sort of, the groundwork is being laid. So your expectation is going to be for a particular thing because of the way that it's been described by everybody that saw it before you did. And there were groups going on television, being interviewed, the police chief in Memphis, uh, the family members, um, others that got to see the city council, I think, or, or some of the city leaders saw the video and were out talking about it on the news before it was actually released. Now, I'm not saying that that makes a huge difference. I'm just saying that the context in which if you were paying attention, the context in which you watched the video the first time was against a background of people who told you what you were going to see and raised the expectation of what you would see. Now, the actual um, police cam video is about 26 minutes long. Um, it's the, what you're seeing on television in the news reports are chopped up versions of it where uh, Tyree's on the ground and the police officers are striking him. And, yes, they're, they're kicking him. They're striking him with their hands. Uh, they're hitting, hitting him with the baton is what it appears to be. But here's the tricky part. And, and believe me, please understand, I am not saying that Tyree Nichols was – that excessive force was not used. I'm not saying that these police officers acted properly. By any stretch of the imagination, um, I, I don't think you can you can say that. But here's what: if you watched it, the when when he's on the ground and you're watching the police cam video, it's hard to tell how much he's resisting because it's just basically shouts and and pushing and 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 I mean the the cameras all over the place you know it's not focus don't if you haven't seen it don't you know get in your mind that you've got a still camera watching events so that you can see details 
No, you've got you've got a cam you've got cameras that are jumping around all over the place, and you're you're seeing a little bit of this going on over here, and then the camera switches, the camera angle switches, and you're looking at his feet, or you're looking at a police officer up close that's over the top of him. And there's one point where he's it's it's very emotional, but I, because I mean he sounds like he's crying out for his mother, that the camera goes dark and you can't. I don't know what's happening, and I don't know if the camera got up against another police officer, but it's just blank for about five or six seconds. And so there are parts of it that you cannot see. What you can see is when they pull him over pretty quick. They've got guns drawn when they come up to the car. I mean, one police officer's got his weapon drawn. I have no idea what motivated him to do that, if it was – rightly motivated or not it seems strange to me that in a reckless driving incident when you pull somebody over that you would have your weapon drawn with when you've got a number the police officers there now initially it looks to me like there were only a couple and they pulled him out of the car got him on the ground we can debate whether he was subdued or not okay it appears to me that he was subdued well it, it's hard to tell if he was still resisting but regardless, he was tased. They put a taser right up against his leg. And then somehow he gets up, he gets away from them, and he runs off. He runs out of the picture. He's running pretty fast because they're chasing him and can't catch up to him. So in the 26-minute video, the police officer, one, one of them that's chasing him, comes walking back and he's having some kind of problem with his eyes. He can't see. He says that the guy hit him, and apparently the pepper spray that they were using got in his eyes, and so they were uh, trying to wash the pepper spray. It shows one of the other officers getting his water out of the police car and pouring it multiple times on the head of the officer, and he's rubbing it in his eyes, and then they're looking for their, um, he's looking for his glasses and finds them in the, in the street. Well, while all this is going on, Another police car pulls up and, you know, so where is he? He said, he went down that way. They turn the sirens on and off they go. Well, in a few minutes, the, the video switches and you see them catch up to him again. Um, he had gotten away. He was away maybe, I don't know, how long he was at large. It's hard to tell by the way the video goes. But, but anyway, they caught up to him. And when they did, they put him back on the ground. Now, According to the police officers, he was still resisting. Um, but and, and this is where it's hard to see exactly what's going on because, again, the camera's jumping all over the place. There's one video that is from a street camera that they kind of put into the mix, and you can see him on the ground with the police officer standing over him. And so... The question becomes, all right, here they've been charged with some serious crimes. I mean, they're, they're charged with second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, and official misconduct. And all five of these police officers that have been charged are, are black, and Tyree Nichols is black. So this, even though CNN tried to make this a racial issue, they, they ran a headline that said this, the police who killed Tyree Nichols were black, but they might still have been driven by racism. Now, they're, the, the stretch they're trying to make is that the Memphis Police Department is systemically racist, and that actually 
is leaking over from white police officers into black officers who are in an environment where everybody's behaving in a racist way, and so therefore they're police, they're racist. I mean, it, it, you know, any other any other place, you wouldn't be talking about the racist police unless they were white. But you talk about it because it's the police, because that's the narrative. They can't let the narrative slip by that police officers are racist. And so some, they're, they're trying to put that out there, but it won't fly. And the reason it won't fly is because the American people have enough common sense to be able to say to themselves, you've got five black officers and a, and a, a, a black young man who died at their hands. What does that have to do with race? President Biden came out and made this statement. He described it as, quote, yet another painful reminder of the profound fear and trauma, the pain and the exhaustion black and brown Americans experience every day. Now, nothing about that is, it is applicable to what happened. This is not an example of what black and brown people experience every day. Every single day that goes by, you don't have police officers beating up black and brown people in America. But that's what the president said about this, that this is just another day. No, this is an aberration. This is five police officers, and we're going to talk a little bit about their background and how they got hired and why that matters in just a minute. But five, these five police officers did a terrible thing, and they're going to be held accountable for it. And it's, but I'm, I'm telling you, those that think this is just, this is cut and dried for a jury, um, when you watch that video, it's, it's, it's awful, but it's really hard to tell exactly what happened. And I think we have to be honest and at least say that. By the way, there were protests in cities all over the place, protests in Los Angeles, Memphis, Philadelphia, Atlanta, New York. Um, and for the most part, and I, I don't want to say mostly peaceful, because we all know that back during the George Floyd riots, there were reporters standing in front of burning buildings saying this, the protests were mostly peaceful, which was ridiculous. But these protests seriously were... There, there was very little violence. I think there were three people arrested in New York because they um, struck a police officer, tried to, uh, you know, hurt, tear up a police car. But for the, for the very majority of the time, the most of the time, these protests were, were peaceful. There were people in Memphis. They blocked the, the road. Um, in, in some other cities, they had— larger numbers but this this wasn't the thousands of protesters and the atmosphere of anger and violence that accompanied the the summer of rage where we had um that was a result of the george floyd situation his death his killing um so here's and, and part of the reason i think that it was mostly peaceful is that we can look at uh, at rayvon Nichols, who is Tyree Nichols' mother, and on Thursday night before the video was released, they they had sort of a rally, and she made a plea for people to be calm, and I think that helped. I want each and every one of you to protest in peace. I don't want 
us burning up our cities, tearing up the streets, because that's not what my son stood for. Yeah. So that's that's when you make a statement like that, and that's the mother of the victim, that's going to have an impact to some degree on the protesters and how they behave. And so, I, I mean, that's hard for a mom to get out there and say that when her son has been treated the way that Tyree Nichols was treated. Um, but And look, I don't want anybody to come away from this radio program thinking that I'm defending these police in any way. I'm not defending them. Uh, they yanked him out of the car. They had him on the ground. Uh, it was a traffic stop. I, now, I don't know. You know, we're going to – here's what's going to happen in the days ahead. I mean, this these police officers are going to get a defense. You know, there there's going to be discovery. And we're going to find out things like what did the police know about him ahead of time? Were they told that he had some kind of violent background? I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't heard any of that. So – but And would that make a difference? Well, the only difference it would make is maybe the way that they approach the car with their guns drawn. I don't think normally for even for reckless driving. Now, apparently the reckless driving was pretty serious. He was all over the place, and the police officers believed that he was on something. You can hear one of the officers say that during the altercation. He's on something. Uh, one of the police, the police officer that came back that had pepper spray, got pepper spray in his eyes, um, made the statement that Nichols hit him and knocked his glasses off. And I think that's how the pepper, uh, pepper spray ended up getting, getting in his eyes that they were trying to subdue Nichols with. But when you look at the, th- if you look at the video in total, you've got enough police officers on the scene to put this guy in custody without the beating that he endured. And the beating was severe enough that it took his life. And that alone is enough for these officers to be charged. And likely, I mean, I, I don't know, they're, they're innocent. They, they should be presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But when you look at the video, um, it's if that's what the jury's going to see. Now they're going to hear all kinds of mitigating testimony. Again, we there there are things that you can't tell from the video. I mean, I I just look. I'm not saying these guys are innocent. I'm not. I'm, all I'm saying is we need to be honest about what the what the video shows. It's jumping all over the place. Now, I mean, when you see arms and legs, you can see that they're striking him on the ground. You can see that they're hitting him with a baton. You can see that they hit him in the head. In fact, after it was over, they were um, if you watch the whole thing, like I said, it's about 26 minutes, after they've dragged him over and leaned him up against the police car, then they, you know, they're bragging about the haymakers that they landed. I mean, some of them are talking about how they, you know, how they hit him, how they subdued him. And so all of that is going to go into likely making it a, a bad day for these uh, police officers. But no matter what, it was a much more horrible day uh, for Tyree Nichols because he died from his injuries and also for their family. Now, the, the thing I was going to talk a little bit about from about the background here is you need to you need to remember that in all of the major cities 
if you go back to the defund the police movement and everything that came out of the George Floyd George Floyd's death, what what you have is a lot of the city councils began to cut back in order to appease progressives who wanted the police defunded. They started cutting back on police funding. And they began to get harder on the police officers that were serving. In other words, it was the season to malign the police, to undermine them, to accuse all police officers of being racist. And in that atmosphere, you had two things. One, most cities had less money to hire police officers and train them right. And two, you had less people who wanted to become police officers because who wants to put up with that and make, you know, $50,000 a year or 40000 or whatever. It's maybe a little bit more for some of these officers in the bigger cities. But who, who wants to have a job where every day people are accusing you of being the problem when you're putting your life on the line to protect those people? So what did, what did Memphis do? They had a police shortage, and they had a high crime problem. And that's always been the case in Memphis. Memphis has been a city that's been difficult to, for law and order to be maintained. So they come up with this Scorpion unit in 2021 to try to put unmarked police cars with specially trained units into high crime areas, and a whole lot of arrests were made. I mean, there's... Apparently, this this Scorpion unit was making at least a small dent in the crime rate in some of these high-crime neighborhoods in Memphis. And, of course, now that's over. Um, in, in addition to the police officers being fired, of course, and charged with, with, with uh, second-degree murder, uh, the Scorpion unit has been disbanded. And so that's, they're not going to be out there anymore. Now, there's a story today from the Federalist, that talks about that the Memphis police, in addition to everything else that we just talked about, that they lowered the standards to hire police officers in Memphis. The standard was you had to have um, a, an associate degree or a four-year degree from, and from college. They just, they just threw that out and said, we're going we're gonna to substitute your experience as a police officer in other settings if you'll come to work for us here in Memphis. So the charge is that because they lowered the standard, they put people in these police cars without a psychological profile that then turned out to be bad cops. And, you know, the critics, of course, are saying, well, you shouldn't be surprised if you don't run the psychological profiles, if you don't examine their backgrounds, then you're you know, you're you're taking and giving loaded guns and authority and a badge to somebody that you don't know whether they're stable or not. Now, agree that there should never be a police officer out on the street that hasn't gone through some psychological testing because of their authority, because of the um, the fact that they're armed to the teeth. I mean, you and and they have the right to detain and to go after citizens. They've got to be emotionally and mentally stable. And so the charge is that the Memphis Police Department, because they were having trouble hiring police officers, dropped a lot of these standards and got these guys that 
were, yeah, they'd work for other police departments, but then put them in this special unit to go out and deal with crime in a high crime area when they don't know how they're going to handle it because they haven't been psychologically profiled. But now, where do we put the blame? I, I think, at, at, look, at least part of the blame has to rest with the fact that this progressive mindset of all the police are racist that decimated the ranks of police officers in high-crime cities like Memphis and made it difficult to hire police officers, it became a catch-22 for the city. <clears throat> if you go out and say, well, they shouldn't have hired these police officers, okay, probably not. But they couldn't hire enough police officers to, to, to stop the crime rate that they were having. So what, what do they do? They, they make a decision, okay? Um, either we have at least a minimum number of police officers on the street to deal with the level of crime that we're dealing with, or we put everybody through these rigorous standards and we cut back drastically on the number of police because we can't feel them fast enough to keep up with the attrition rate. So I guess my question is this. What should we expect as a society when we vilify the police and then we're surprised when people don't want to be police officers? What should we suspect, expect as a society when we defund the police, when we literally take money away for training and for recruitment purposes and then we step back and go, oh, my gosh, we don't have enough police officers, and they're not trained well enough to do their jobs. It, it's insane. I mean, it, it really is a, a, sort of a, a definition of insanity to create an environment and then step back and complain that the environment has been created and that we're not able to fulfill the number of police officers that we need on the street. So if we're going to address this problem— it's got to begin with the fact that part of the Christian worldview says we have to have law and order. There are bad people. Remember this thing called original sin? Yeah, it really has infiltrated the whole culture. And so we got bad people out there, and bad people are going to do bad things unless you have good people trained to stop them, and you've got enough of them, and they're properly trained to keep law and order. So if we're going to vilify the police so that nobody wants to be one, if we're going to take away the money that it takes to recruit them and to train them and to bring them up to speed, then we've got to stop being, A, surprised when things go badly, two, we need to stop being, or B, we need to stop being surprised when we don't have adequate police officers to protect the communities that they're charged to protect, and C, we shouldn't be all that surprised when police officers go rogue and behave they, the way they did with Tyree Nichols because they haven't had the psychological profile and the additional training necessary to make sure that they don't make these kind of bad decisions that lead to the death of a 29-year-old man that should be alive today. Um, I want to shift gears here a little bit, and I want to talk about the Paul Pelosi video on the night that he was obviously um, attacked with a hammer. You know, I, as you know, if you've listened to this program, you know that I've asked a lot of questions about what happened. 
and I asked the question about why has the video not been released? Why can we not see what actually happened? And there were those who, um, who saw the video who began to give us a description of what happened. And one of those people was Miguel Amaguera. Um, and his story at NBC was retracted and briefly suspended. But it doesn't appear, according to this MSN story, that he's going to be getting any sort of public apology from the network after the video was released. Well, I'm confused about that because I don't think he should get an apology. In the days after the husband of then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was attacked, with details scant, police video under seal and conspiracy theories running rampant, Al, uh, Al reported that, uh, that arriving San Francisco police were unaware they, they were approaching the Speaker's residence, that Paul Pelosi seemed at first unalarmed after opening the door, and that he stepped back several feet into the residence before he was struck with a hammer. With the possible, now listen to this, with the possible exception of the step back descriptor, which video doesn't shows didn't happen until the attack commenced, as it appears Pelosi has a self-opening door, the body cam footage released Friday vindicates the entirety of this reporter's report. It does not. I mean, I, 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 that, I, I mean I'm sorry, but that's just not true. What he said was that the fact that Paul Pelosi stepped back several feet, he described Pelosi being distant from the attacker. The, the description led me to believe that the attacker was standing maybe 10 feet away in the hallway, that Pelosi went to the door by himself. And then when he opened the door, then he, he starts talking and then to the police and then begins to back away and he comes under the influence of the attacker again, and then the attack begins. And so that raised, I mean, that raises all kinds of questions. Why in the world would you open the door and not run out the door? I mean, he was in his underwear, but, I mean, he was at home. It was late. Now, it's true, it appears, when you watch the video, that the police didn't know that they were going to, to Pelosi residence because they... When the, when the door opens, it's it's pretty clear they, they don't know that they're talking uh, to Paul Pelosi. But the attacker is standing there at the door with Pelosi with the hammer in his hand, and he's got Pelosi by the arm. And at one point, Pelosi kind of tries to reach for the hammer, and there's a, there's a brief interaction between them. Um, which it, it I mean it, it goes something like this it, it's it'd be hard to see on the video but when the door opens Paul says to the police Paul Pelosi hey guys police officer responds how you doing Pelosi says how are you and the police officer says what's going on man and DePape replies everything's good and Paul again says hi now it's just it's kind of surreal but then they see, you know, in between the high and what happens next, Pelosi kind of reaches for the hammer, and the police tell DePape to drop the hammer. And DePape says, nope, and pounds Pelosi in the head. The police charge into the house. They get uh, DePape on the floor. They subdue him, 
And then, of course, they get Paul Pelosi medical attention because he, this is he, you can see the assailant, DePape, you can see him hit Pelosi hard with the hammer. So I'm, you know, maybe they want to defend this reporter. I, I you know, I, I don't like people uh, necessarily losing their jobs unless they intentionally are misleading people. But the description that he gave, it the only thing that measures up is that it's pretty obvious the police didn't know whose house they were coming to. But once that door gets opened, when I watched this the first time and I saw DePape standing there holding on to Pelosi's arm, I was like, where did this guy, it, was, was he high when he watched the thing? Did he, what, did he see some other video that, we haven't seen yet because there's nothing that looks like the description that the reporter gave. And I'm, I mean, I'm not defending anybody here. I'm just saying you can see with your own eyes, Paul Pelosi was attacked in his home by somebody that broke in. I mean, we, we now know that that's confirmed that he, all these conspiracy theories that were out there that he invited the attacker in and he was in some kind of illicit relationship with the attacker. None of that can be supported by the evidence that's been offered at this point. It's obvious that the attacker uh, broke into the house and intended to hurt or kill Nancy Pelosi and whoever else he found there. I think he was hoping that Nancy Pelosi was going to be there. That's obvious from him asking several times, where's Nancy? And by the way, he called in. I, I don't know if you saw this story, but he actually called in to um, some, some, I think it was a radio show, and made some really bizarre statements that um, are just not, you know, can't be defended. Um, let me see if I can find that. I think I had. Yeah, here we go. It was a Bay Area television station said the man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi with a hammer in his Pacific Heights home in October called the station with a message on Friday after a San Francisco Superior Court released audio and video of the attack the same day from the San Francisco County Jail. David DePape, 42, who's been charged with attempted murder, elder abuse and federal kidnapping charges call KTVU's Amber Lee, telling her that he had an important message and claiming that he carried out the assault on Pelosi because, quote, people's liberties were under attack. He also eerily apologized for not hurting more people. This is what he said. He said, I want to apologize to everyone. I messed up. What I did was really bad. I'm so sorry I didn't get more of them. It's my own fault. No one else is to blame. I should have come better prepared. Now, this guy is, I mean, this is one messed up guy who has decided that it's up to him. He's got strong opinions, obviously, about the role that Nancy Pelosi plays in what a lot of people would say are taking away the rights of Americans. I mean, we hear this all the time. And this guy embraced that to the point that he took a hammer and intended. I think if Nancy Pelosi had been there, now, if she had been there, security would have been much tighter. It's possible he'd have been arrested before he got to the house. He would have been picked up on the property. He probably wouldn't have been successful in getting into the house because I'm sure that when she's at home, there's more security 
around that house than there was just with Paul Pelosi being there. But the here's here's the, if there wasn't, let's just say that there were some security people around, but he was still able to get into the house. If he had encountered Nancy Pelosi, I, I don't think there's very very much doubt that he would have beat her to death with that hammer. I mean, I think that's what his intent was all along, and he was frustrated because Nancy Pelosi wasn't there. I think he was hoping that she was going to come home. Um, okay, this is uh, this is coming from The Federalist today. It's by Eddie Scary. He writes for The Federalist uh, from time to time. And he let me just start with this paragraph, because this is where he starts raising questions about the Pelosi video that I'm, I'm going to answer those questions for him. They probably won't be satisfying to anybody who's decided that this is you know, there's there's a conspiracy behind this, because once you make that decision, I've, I've been around conspiracy theorists enough to know that facts that contra- contradict their version of events or would point to a different version are simply there intentionally to mislead you from the truth. I mean, that's they just dismiss people just dismiss anything that has anything to do with a, a reasonable explanation about what happened. But on the 9-11 call, and a lot of people raise questions about that, as calmly as can be, according to Scary, he tells the San Francisco police officer, operator rather, that there's a gentleman here waiting for my wife to come back and that I guess we'll have to wait because Nancy was in Washington and wouldn't be home for a number of days. Ask if he needs emergency assistance. Paul says, I don't think so, but ask if the Capitol Police are around. The operator tells him that he called the San Francisco police, to which Paul says, I understand. Then apparently talking to DePape, Paul says, I don't know, what do you think? DePape seems to respond, but it's unintelligible. He thinks everything's good, Paul says, but I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good, Paul tells the operator. He also says DePape just came into the house, said he doesn't know who DePape is. Anyway, he's telling me to put the phone down. So the operator asks for DePape's name, and apparently being able to hear the operator, he responds, David DePape, my name's David. Now, that it, is that weird? Yes. But think about this. You've got, you're asleep in bed, 2.30 in the morning. Somebody breaks the glass in the back of the house, gets in, and comes in asking, where's Nancy? Then he produce, He has a hammer, and it's obvious that he's unstable and that his intent is to harm you. And you're able to call the police. I mean, what, what would I do? I, I try to stop and think. Would I be calm? I think I, I would try to keep him. If I didn't have a weapon, now, if he broke into my house like that in the middle of the night— things probably would have gone differently, shall we say. But it, the, he, he broke in. Pelosi doesn't have a weapon. He's got a hammer. Uh, Pelosi's 82, 83 years old. So he's not, he doesn't have a lot of ability to fight back. And I'm sure he's, the guy, he's afraid of the guy. And he's got the police on the phone. If he says to the police, I've got somebody here that's threatening me, then maybe that provokes the guy and he starts beating him right then. So he tries to finesse it a little bit. He's trying to communicate with this 
police operator, and he didn't necessarily do a very good job, but he tries to communicate with the operator that there's a problem without just coming right out and saying that. And he's talking to the guy. He's trying to keep the guy, uh, you know, I think he's probably thinking, if I can keep this guy calm, maybe he doesn't attack me. Now, is that a reasonable explanation? I, it's, it's the only one I can come up with. Unless you want to believe that he brought this guy home from a bar and things went bad at the house. That's what the, the conspiracy theorists, a lot of them are saying. But we know now from the video, he broke the glass and entered the house and, and got, basically got Pelosi out of bed. And we also know when the police got there and the door opened, and we don't know, we don't know for sure who opened the door, but the door was open. It was probably Pelosi because he was standing closer. If you can, if you haven't watched the video, it's he's they're kind of standing at an at an angle to each other. With DePape being, he's got his hand on Pelosi's arm and he's slightly behind him, and you can't immediately see the hammer that he's got. But then, as the conversation starts with the police, Pelosi reaches for the hammer. The police see it. They tell him to drop it. He says, uh, nope, and then he whacks uh, Pelosi in the head with a hammer. And that's, that's what the video shows. There's, there's no—this guy, and he called the television station to apologize for not being able to do more damage, that he should have been better prepared. He's not apologizing for what he did. He's apologizing because he didn't accomplish what he went to do. Um. You know, there's there's nothing here about Paul Pelosi. He's a victim, and this guy who attacked him uh, deserves to go to jail um, for attempted murder, assault, elder abuse, whatever else they've got him charged with. It's from the video. It's pretty clear that he's guilty. Now, does that mean that this whole thing is not just a little bit strange? No. It doesn't mean that the one thing that I was concerned about is the reporter who said, you know what, there was there was distance between the attacker and Pelosi when he opened the door. If that had been true, um, I think that raises questions that have to be answered because it doesn't make sense that Pelosi was under threat. He sees police officers at the door, and if he if he's got space between him and the attacker. Come on, he would have been out the door. That that's a natural response, but that's not the way it went down. And this po this reporter that they're talking about should get an apology because he was his story was suspended. No, the story that he wrote was inaccurate because it made it sound like that Pelosi had an opportunity to escape and didn't take it, which leaves the idea that there was some kind of relationship going on between the attacker and Pelosi, which you watch the video, that's obviously not the case. The police call, the call to the police station, yeah, it's still a little weird. I mean, I, I'll, I'll grant you, it's, but I, I think it can best be explained by the fact that Pelosi was trying to keep his assailant calm rather than provoking him because he felt like if – if he said the wrong thing on the phone, he was going to get he you know he was going to be attacked, and it's a good thing that the attack didn't take place until the police showed up, 
because if it had started, I mean, Pelosi could have been killed easily if uh, if, if Dupre had begun to hit him with a hammer before the police showed up and were able to intervene. 